Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I haven't memorized the various trillion-dollar plans the Biden administration is putting out because the names don't fit with what they are, so I haven't they haven't stuck in my head. Like, I'd be able to remember the, I don't know, the give kids bicycles plans if all the money was going to give kids bicycles. But we're, we're, we're calling things, you know, the <laughs> make sure everyone has comfortable shoes plan, and then we're using it to build dams. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's everything so confusing. Buy a thousand ahead of yak. Yeah, it has <laughs> nothing to do with it, which is why I refuse to use the phony names, because they're, they're propaganda to me. They're, they're evil PR. But to discuss that and other topics, please welcome Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi, fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lon He, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing fine. Great to be with you guys again. Thank you. Thank you kindly. So we have been talking about this enormous package that is allegedly something to do with infrastructure, but indeed reorders uh, American society and economics and the rest of it. And we've been reading from the Wall Street Journal. I don't know how many op-eds they had this week about how, hey, America, hello. I don't know if you're paying any attention. We're about to change the country drastically, like really change the way we operate forever. Hello. So what's your thoughts, uh, what are your thoughts on how much of this is likely to pass, how difficult it's going to be to get it through? Where do you think we might end up? Well, I first of all, I think Democrats will have the opportunity um, to pass essentially a, a good chunk of what they want to because they're going to use this process called budget reconciliation, which basically allows them to uh, to pass things that are related to spending or to the collection of revenue with a simple majority vote, which they have. And and recall, they've already used this once to pass that massive spending package, which to you guys' point was kind of masquerading as a COVID-19 relief bill. You know, I I think the challenge with all of these things is that there is the germ of some kind of bipartisan consensus in all of these bills, right? You you talk about the COVID-19 relief as an example, what they could have done, what Biden could have done is said, look, we're going to do a much smaller package somewhere around 160 billion instead of two trillion. We're going to, we're going to focus it on getting, you know, vaccines out there, making sure schools have what they need to make changes so that they're ready for the fall, yada, yada, you know, all the things that people could have agreed on. In the same way with infrastructure, instead of going for two trillion dollars, they could have said, Let's do a, you know, even $600 billion package, which is a ton of money already, that's focused on things like roads and bridges and airports and physical infrastructure, even water infrastructure, which some say, I don't know if it falls in there. Look, I think a lot of Republicans would have been totally fine saying, yes, let's improve the way that we get water to uh, to more of the American people. They would have been willing to spend $600 billion to do it. So in each of these cases, there was the germ of something But instead of trying to work together, what you see is just an effort to go big every single time. Uh, And and at some point, you know, people grow immune to the fact that we are spending, you know, six trillion dollars over the course of like eight months. And, 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 and people are just immune to it. They just don't. It doesn't register with them anymore. But that is an awful lot of money. <laughs> what I was driving at was I've heard that there are a handful of moderate Democrats who are really uneasy with this wild, I mean, like Coke binge spending. 
Well, they might be. They might be uneasy with it. And I, I take, you know, Joe Manchin of West Virginia is a good example. He's a, he's a very moderate Democrat, probably in a different life, could have been a Republican. And, and he said, look, I'm not comfortable spending all this money. I'm not necessarily comfortable doing this. But, you know, Joe Manchin's a good example of somebody who at the end of the day is a pragmatist. And if he ends up with some significant boondoggle for the state of West Virginia, <laughs> which he represents, he's going to be perfectly fine voting for $2 trillion in spending. The same goes for Senator Sinema from Arizona, who's another one that people say, oh, well, she's a moderate. Yeah, you know, look, they're moderates until it comes down to the question of what are you going to give me in return for my vote? And believe me, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, they're going to get very creative. They're going to make sure Arizona and West Virginia come out of this looking very, very nice. And it's going to give Cinema and Manchin permission to vote for these big packages. That is the reality. They can cloak their language in, 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 in the sort of notion of, you know, hey, we really need bipartisanship. And what we actually need is fiscal responsibility. That's sure. All, you know, horse manure. At the end of the day, what they really care about is, what am I going to get for my state? And by Well, the way, if I'm Kirsten Cinema, you know what I'm asking for? I'm asking for Lake Michigan. I'm going to say Illinois and Wisconsin aren't doing much with it. Arizona needs water. I want Lake Michigan. I'll settle for Lake Erie, but I want Michigan. Lonnie, yeah, you're, on, you're, on, you're on a bunch of these shows with other pundits. Some of the punditry, punditry that's coming from uh, the, 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 the conservative pundits is driving me freaking nuts because I'm so tired of hearing about, well, I'll tell you what, a lot of voters are going to like this, and uh, it, it really ups the chances for the Republicans to take back the House because they're stepping on some stuff. And that sort of uh, view of back and forth every two years, hey, we won the House back, who cares if Joe Biden is able to transform the nation in one two-year period in a way that you know none of these entitlements will go away? If you could give me the reverse, if if the Republicans could have a two-year win where, okay, we shrink the size of government, we reform entitlements, we secure the border, you know, whatever my wish list is, and you say, but you'll lose the House after you do this, I'd say, freaking where do I sign? Right. Well, you may recall we, we, you know, Republicans had that opportunity back in 2017. They had control of basically the House, the Senate, and the White House. And they had an opportunity to effectuate some of these changes. And, you know, uh, they, they did tax reform, which, which I thought was good, but they didn't really move ahead with anything else, right? And they had an opportunity to shrink the size of government. They had an opportunity to, uh, to, to look carefully at what they were doing. And un- unfortunately, that wasn't what came out of it. And I think that's why voters now are so skeptical. They just sort of say a pox on both their houses because, you know, what's pretty clear is when each side, you know, has what they have, they try and do various things. Sometimes they get there. Sometimes they don't. But the, the reality is we are in this cycle of politics now where we are destined, I think, to swerve from one policy prescription or set of prescriptions to another and those changes can be quite violent not not in terms of like you know people people picking up pitchforks i just mean the change going from one side to the other can be so dramatic and so violent because that's just what we that's the period of time we're in right now and to me that's not a great way to make policy no it's not but i need to point out that generally speaking republican policies uh, a violent swing to the right can be undone very quickly and easily by the left whereas the left will institute uh, you know programs and, and handouts and obamacare is still that, here 
Yeah, that, that, that are almost impossible to undo without incurring the rage of the voter. Lon He Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, is on the line. Um, oh, what the heck? It just flitted right out of my mind. I had something very important. Oh, just uh, long and short of it, is the United States just plunging toward becoming France with two oceans? That's what the Wall Street of- Journal's been saying all week. Well, it is the case that if you build a um, an entitlement state, if you build a sort of state of support that is large enough, I mean, you guys raise a good point, which is that, you know, folks get used to it and, and people's sort of vision of it changes fundamentally and things that were not acceptable before become acceptable. And particularly when you're talking about creating a broader and broader social safety net. I mean, I keep coming back to the concept of extended unemployment insurance during the pandemic or during the period of the pandemic. When the economy was down, you totally understood why it was important. We've seen the economy coming back very, very strong. Growth rates are very, very good right now. There are jobs being created. Things are coming back in most parts of the country. And we hear over and over again that what some of these programs have created, frankly, is a disincentive to return to work. And that is a good example of a situation where American society becomes closer and closer to the kind of society and state they have in Europe, in many parts of Europe, where there are, frankly, disincentives to work. And then culturally, you get a situation where, you know, like if you look at, at Europe, a lot of countries there, frankly, are less productive because, you know, they take three hours off in the middle of the day and they take three months off in the summer. And, you know, some would say, hey, that, that sounds kind of nice. But it, th- that's not how you create a society where, uh, you know, you have productivity and growth and innovation, all the amazing things we've seen in America come because we have an industrious society that values work fundamentally. And I, I fear that we're moving away from that a little bit. And a question I was going to ask about uh, the whole Liz Cheney Trump thing, but I lost interest, lost interest <laughs> in my own head. <laughs> She's going to get booted out. Any chance uh, Trump injects himself into the midterms in such a way that, you know, what happened in Georgia happens? You turn off enough people that you lose something you should have won. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know what his plans are, what his role will be. Uh, I, I, I do know this, that the midterm elections are actually right around the corner, believe it or not. And it is extremely important for Republicans. I've always argued this. I think Republicans have to focus on putting forth a vision of what are the two or three things you're going to do if you take back the House. It is enough to sort of argue. It is not enough to argue, you know, hey, what the Democrats are doing is bad. They're expanding government. We don't like that. You know, as as true as that argument might be, if you're unable to come forward with, hey, here are the things we're going to do to make things better, it's hard. I think people want an alternative vision to vote for. So, so yeah. I hope that that's what the focus. Well, you is can't on you can't point. run on unspending seven trillion dollars. Unfortunately, once it's spent, it's spent. And if they say we're yeah. going to repeal and replace Obamacare, I'm moving to Paraguay or Uruguay. <laughs> I can never remember which one. Uh, Lon He Chen of the Hoover Institution and Stanford University. Lon He, thanks so much for the insight. Great to talk to you and have a great weekend. Thank you, guys. I just, I just don't feel like people are grasping what's happening here. You, you say, okay, yay, we won, we won the house. Woo, we're gonna do this. No, things are changed forever. They're never coming back. Yeah, yep. they'll never go back to the way they were. Seven tr- trillion dollars. Once it's committed to being spent, will be spent. It'll be out the door. We'll have to reckon with that, no matter what. God dang it. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't want to talk about that on a Friday. I don't either. Huh? We're we're unanimous. So you know we need to stop. play that COVID song more, and uh, the vaccination song. The vaccine.
Yeah, that okay, one. Let's go. And who's the guest artist on there? It's the Singapore and Eminem is who it is. Um, uh, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. President Biden went to a Mexican restaurant in Washington yesterday in honor of Cinco de Mayo. He had the enchiladas, and Major had the mariachi band. <laughs> what? Still beating up on Major? Poor Major. He bit a couple of people. What? Is it? Come on. Got him some slack, man. Come on, up, Jack. I was upset he didn't tag that joke with his usual, everybody get behind me, Joe Biden impression as he holds <laughs> off his rabid dog. <laughs> right. Uh, this is a weird story. This will be another 2020 episode or Dateline or whatever those shows are on Friday nights that a lot of a lot of people watch. Real estate agent allegedly wanted Hitman to kill former mother-in-law. So you got this woman who's a real estate agent who looks exactly like every blonde 40-something real estate agent you've ever seen on a billboard. Looks exactly like them. And they always have their picture on a billboard they and have a card. A, and they have a specific look, a specific yes. haircut. Just a, I don't know why. Why? I don't know why. And their eyes, of course. Oh, realtor they got eyes. them realtor eyes. Got them realtor eyes. That's right. You know that. They got them. She got them realtor eyes. She got them. <laughs> A realtor and self-described pistol-packing cheer mom from Missouri allegedly tried to hire a hitman to kill her ex-husband's mother and make it look like an accident, according to a new report. She's 44 good, years old. Good idea. She, she was re- recently charged with conspiracy to commit murder. So she's plotting to kill her ex-husband's mom because she thought that her ex-husband and his mom were plotting against her somehow or something. The world record winning power boater, they just throw that in like with no explanation. Apparently she's a world record winning power boater, whatever that means. And a realtor. From the Lake of the Ozarks was allegedly preparing to pay $1,500 for the hit in March. By asking a pal for leads on a possible hitman. People get caught that way so often. Hey, do you know where I, I want to kill my husband's wife or mom? And you, do you know? Do you know any hitman? Because I'd want to hire a hitman. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll ask around. Yeah, sure. sure. I won't go to the police immediately and you'll get arrested. That won't happen. That doesn't happen like a thousand times a day. No, turns out, longtime friend, I circle with hitmen all the time. Yeah, I just had never shared that with you because I wasn't sure how you would react to it. Yeah, exactly. We're friends. And you were, you, you, you made a good assumption in coming to me because I know all kinds of hitmen. You know, what's funny is this is straight out of an episode of Ozark. I can see all those characters ooching around and conspiring and such. She told the friend who she went to and said, hey, do you the know any hitmen? Ozark handle their own business. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> I assume she talked out of the side of the mouth to her friend, and she said, I know it's wrong as a Christian, but I'll just go to church and ask for forgiveness after it's done. She's read the rules. That's what her friend right. says she told her when she came and said, hey, do you know any hitmen? I know I'm a, I know it's wrong as a Christian, but I'll ask for forgiveness. <laughs> 
Um, Why don't you just go for a nice power boat and forget about this idea? I like this part, too. So the uh, the real estate agent allegedly sent one of her daughters a chilling text message that said grandmother would die. When the children told their father about the text... Narcs. The, 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 the dad obviously, <laughs> dad obviously went to his ex-wife and said, what's with the grandmother would die text? And she said, I just meant grandmother was old and was going to die. <laughs> God, I hope this lady's a better realtor than she is a killer. I mean, this is, this is a hapless plot. It sounds like Sideshow Bob. It's very much like Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons. The only thing I've really learned You're about- going to die. I mean, just I just mean you're old and you're going to die someday. We all are. I think the major thing I've learned right now is that the uh, competition and barrier to entry into power boating seems very low. <laughs> so it seems. Uh, and this is not a surprising sentence here. Her alleged plans unraveled when her 40-year-old friend contacted the police. Oh, is that what happened? Police immediately came to her uh, residence and figured out what was going on, and now she's in jail. Somebody comes to me and says, uh, hey, uh, you know anybody who's uh, willing to do a little, you know, knock somebody off work? If they have a perfect plan and their target has it coming 100%, I'm going to the cops. Yeah. If it's this numbskull. Yeah. Uh, she withdrew $1,500 from the bank. She was serious. asked about that by the police. She said she'd had a couple of glasses of wine that night. She does not necessarily remember why she took the money out. So. Nah. That's a good story. Grandmother is going to die. I mean, she's old. Everybody's okay. Like and I, another note: if you are, unfortunately, going, we're out of time. Dang it. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So the only two news stories you really need to know about today, I suppose, are the um, the jobs numbers that came out, which are way less than what anybody was expecting. Um, they're hoping for a million new jobs, and it, it ended up being a fraction of that. And um, Joe Biden's going to give a speech this morning, I believe, at some point or sometime midday, and I, I guarantee he's going to use that as backing for why we need to spend trillions of dollars. <laughs> you have millions of open jobs, millions. They can't find anybody to take them. And we're going to make more uh, generous benefits? Great plan. Great yeah, and, plan. And then what's the breaking news out of the um, the George Floyd case? The federal authorities have brought uh, civil rights charges against uh, Derek Chauvin and the three other cops, uh, denying Floyd his civil rights, essentially. So there'll be a whole other trial? Uh, could be, yeah. Yeah, the U.S. added two hundred sixty-six thousand jobs in April. They're expecting a million, and they also downgraded the last couple of months. So the last couple of months were not as good as we thought. So the three reasons people are because you got all millions of people out of work. You got to help wanted signs everywhere you go, and the reasons people are giving, according to the Wall Street Journal, are I don't have the vaccine, or I'm worried about COVID. Um, my kids are home because schools are not open, or I just make more money from the government. Not going to work. But the COVID thing, you'd think we could get that one under control. Yeah, you would. Although there's been such astounding misinformation and, and siloed media, which we've been talking about a lot, um, that the, you have a substantial part of the population that is terrified beyond all reason of, of the COVID. Of the COVID or the vaccine? 
uh, of the COVID. Huh. And so, and so they're, I guess they're afraid to go back to work. I don't know. A couple of other really interesting COVID notes or, and or, uh, relevant to you in your life. Let's see. There, they, there was a, uh, da, 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 who did this poll? Doesn't really matter. There's a, a poll of employers, um, as to whether they were going to merely encourage vaccination or require it. Ah, it was a uni- Arizona State University funded by the Rockefeller Foundation found U.S. employers are taking both a carrot and a stick approach. About two-thirds said they plan to offer incentives for workers. Almost half, though, told surveyors that if that doesn't work, they plan to mandate vaccination. Uh, 31% said they would encourage it, but definitely would not make it a condition of employment. So 44 to 31, it was, yeah, we'll mandate it. According to Good Morning America, specialists say herd immunity in California is just weeks away. Oh, is that right? Weeks away, and the whole state of California will have herd immunity. i got to believe there are plenty of areas in California that already do. Yet, it still is one of the more closed-down states in America. How do you explain that? Well, we know how to explain that. Yeah, the politics of it, the sociology of it, and the teachers' unions. And uh, so California now, I, the record low in cases, record low in hospitalization since the like the first, second week of the thing, way back when. And yet uh, most uh, or many public schools are, are entirely closed or partially closed, and the governor's talking about maybe opening in the fall. It's just astounding. Uh, quick uh, note here from... Our old buddy Kevin, frequent listener and compiler of statistics, who is looking within Cal Unicornia at a couple of different counties. Uh, the one uh, that's been my home for 20-plus years and the, the one where Jack lives. I happen to live in a, a very uh, conservative place, and Jack, uh, liberal, even though you know they're a half-hour drive from each other. And uh, the, the deaths per 100,000 are far, far higher in the liberal county, which has been locked down like crazy since the beginning mm. of it. An old defiant, let your freak flag fly placer county in Northern California is uh, substantially lower. And then let's see. Ah, and uh, he happens to live in a, uh, El Dorado County, California, and he put it up against Napa County. Similar demos, distances to big cities, densities, et cetera. Complete opposite, polar opposite of the COVID lockdown spectrum. And look at the results. Uh, almost precisely the same number of COVID deaths between the most locked down county and the least. That's interesting. Yeah. And so all you're doing is punishing students, workers, business owners. Yeah. Freedom. Yeah. You're just punishing freedom in general for yeah. no result. Yeah. The New York Times talking about uh, how women have been disproportionately affected by the uh, by the COVID because, you know, they got to take care of the kids because the kids aren't in school. And they don't even look at the politics of the schools being closed. Oh, my it's God. Just, I saw it's either so ignorant or so disingenuous. It makes me pissed off. I saw some of the stats on the schools that still aren't open. Uh, and it's still a pretty high number. If you include not fully open, it's over half. If you, because there are a lot of schools that are doing a combination of Zoom and, and, uh, and in person. And then you got schools that are flat out closed, but it's not even close. It's by far mostly uh, minority communities that are being affected by this. Teachers unions are screwing the people that they claim to care about the most. Right. 
And then when somebody like us says, you got to get the kids in school, you got to open the schools up, especially for the poor kids, they say, listen to the white supremacists. Yeah, they make some sort of weird white supremacy. You know, if I was a white supremacist, I would want the schools to stay closed the way they are because only white kids are getting to go to school right now. Not only, but primarily. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Or, or more affluent people, certainly. Oh, that reminds me. You know, Robbie Suave wrote a great piece in uh, at Reason.com that I'm going to crib from heavily next hour, maybe, about how, uh, you know, uh, Kamala Harris and company and uh, Joe Biden, all about equity, equal results. And, well, and he says, all right, let's judge them on their results. Let's look at blue states. And blue cities during the COVID, what have the results been specifically for women and people of color? Then let's contrast that against the red states. What have those results been? And we'll see whether your policies actually yield better results or not. It's good stuff. Stay cool. tuned. We'll get that to uh, we'll get that next hour. I got this market watch piece. It's really interesting. Loved reading this about how much better an investment is. To invest in the United States than to invest in China. And in fact, if you're going to invest in countries that aren't the United States, there are three clear winners for countries you want to invest in, and none of them are China, hmm. according to MarketWatch. So we'll hit you with some of that information. It's pretty simple. I mean, even a simpleton like me can understand what's going on there. I've been considering starting an international hedge fund. First, got to figure out what a hedge fund is exactly. Before I start it, but then that would be a uh, so, good first step. I think that's just logical laying out your, you know, the steps you're going to take. It's exactly what I'm shooting. Figure for. out what they are, and then you tell me which three countries, and I'll be off and running. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. farmer taking the concept of country pride a bit too far. He moved a stone on his property some seven feet to make room for a tractor, inadvertently shifting the border with France, making his country bigger and France smaller. Turns out the stone is part of a series of border markers that have been in place since 1819. Yeah, geez. It's not the first time somebody suddenly made France smaller. 200 years that rock has been there is the border between France and that's that's really interesting. You'd think you'd go with something more permanent than a rock a guy could pick up and move. Sorry, friends. <laughs> he moved it. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, can we move it back? Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. Um. Oh, coming up, the 20 worst Saturday Night Live hosts of all time. <laughs> uh, Elon Musk is on tomorrow night. I think there's great opportunity for uh, jokes to be made, but he could be absolutely horrible. My, my, I've been a Saturday Night Live fan since the very beginning, and always the non-actor people tend to be bad, just in general. People that are actors, they're usually pretty good. Um, yeah, but the, he's he's got a sense of humor. He's very bright. That doesn't mean he's got the the yeah. funny gene, but. Yeah. It, there's a lot of things about him you can make funny jokes about how incredibly rich he is and all that sort of stuff. So we'll see. Anyway, I'll have that list for you in a second. I thought this was interesting for Market Watch. If you want to own international stocks, invest in these three countries instead of China. And I liked what it says here about the uh, the United States in particular. Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa have beaten the world for 120 years. Those are much better countries to invest in than China. Meanwhile, 
Um, well, I'll just start from the beginning. That's the best way to do it. Australia's stock market has a long track record of performance similar to that of the United States and with a similar risk profile. So if you want a, um, a great country to invest in, Australia is fantastic. Meanwhile, China, for instance, their best-known entrepreneur, Jack Ma, the co-founder of Alibaba Group, he's appeared in public once in the last five months, for instance, after the all-powerful Chinese government launched a regulatory offensive against his group. So the, the, the point being... You going to invest uh, invest in a regular country where regular things happen? Or are you going to invest in a country where their leading entrepreneur uh, is in some sort of home prison or something like that, and nobody right. knows what's going on? In a nutshell, it tells you why the U.S. for all its problems is still a great place to invest, while China for all its strengths is a bad one. The U.S. encourages innovation, while China crushes it. This is Howard Gold in Market Watch today. This column has argued for years that investors should put most of their money into U.S. stocks and avoid emerging markets, of which Chinese stocks comprise roughly 40%. U.S. stocks have outperformed emerging and developed markets by a huge margin over the past 12 years, and that's likely to continue as we emerge economically strong from the COVID-19 pandemic. And yet, for years, U.S. investors have pulled money out of a superior U.S. stock fund while shoveling dollars into lagging international emerging market funds. Last year alone, according to Morningstar, investors yanked out $241 billion out of U.S. stocks and put them in international stock funds that traditionally have not even come close to performing as well. You know, back in the day, I used to handle our investments, Judy and I, our, our little nest egg, and it, I fell for the idea that it was a great idea to, to put money in the emerging markets, the so-called emerging markets, because their potential for growth is so big. But what I figured out eventually was you can call them emerging markets, but what they really are is not yet emerged markets. They are potentially emerging markets. Um, three of the world's leading scholars on as- asset class returns have maintained a database on 32 different countries going back to 1900. And this is some of the data. During the entire 121-year period, South Africa has been the world's leading stock market in local currency terms with a 7.1% compound annual return. Wow. Uh, followed by Australia. Now, these are two tiny countries. While the U.S. finishes third in the entire world over 121 years with a uh, 6.6% yearly return. Isn't that something? And, you know, this 121 or $241 billion that got yanked out, a lot of these people making these decisions are supposedly very smart people. Mm -hmm. And they're they're going away from the clear, easy uh, bet that is the United States and going toward places like China where it's not. I just find that interesting. Um, I don't actually know that much about the South African economy, honestly. I know there's a lot of mining, a lot of, uh, you know, well, mining. So here are your worst hosts Saturday Night Live history. I'll go through them fast. 20 to 1. Uh, Number 20, George Steinbrenner, former owner of the New York Yankees. Hmm. Rudy Giuliani. I don't remember that one. Lance Armstrong. That was horrible. I I do remember that one. And Andy's had, a bad person. They had Cheryl Crow on as a musical guest, and it was at the time when they were dating, and they were just insufferable mm-hmm. about their whole jo- constant jokes about the fact that they were dating and how cool they were. And, oh, oh, I hated that. Duh. Ronda Rousey, number 17, worst host of Saturday Night Live. January Jones, I don't know who that is. Lindsay Lohan? January Jones, a rare actress who, uh, who hits a zero on it. Okay. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan, surprised that wasn't good. Louis Lasser, I don't know who that is. Chevy Chase, that was bad. It must have been when he was in his old doddering period. Yep. Andrew Dice Clay. 
Martin, oh! I could see that not being a great fit. Yeah, Martin Lawrence. I can't imagine how that wasn't good because I think Martin Lawrence is hilarious. Oh, no, he got legit banned. Like he because his monologue just went so far over where they had agreed to allow oh, him to okay. go. And gotcha, yeah, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Hmm. Uh, Adrian Brody. Remember, he was uh, the biggest actor in the country for a cup of coffee. Paris Hilton. I don't. I don't remember <laughs> watching that one. That had to be horrible. She can't do anything. Well, she can't do anything that, other than stand like this. Well, in that video I saw, she's got a couple of skills, but I don't see how they'd apply to Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Hilarious! Uh, Justin Bieber? (laughs) Really? I actually thought that episode was pretty cool. Who's writing this list? There are a couple suspect choices here. Justin Bieber, they had a skit on here where he was a kid in class, and the teachers were all just, all the the young female teachers were always all just uh, the gaga over him. (laughs) He was so cute. Uh, Michael Phelps, that was horrible. Nancy Kerrigan, that was awful. Oh. Uh, Tom Green, Milton Berle, I think he was 100 years old. Uh, Frank Zappa. <laughs> number Frank two. Zappa hosted SNL? According to this, the number two worst host of all time, Donald Trump. That seems just like bias to me. Yeah, this is from Rolling Stone magazine. Liberals! And I don't remember this episode, but the worst host ever they claim is Steven Seagal, which I can perfectly imagine. I do actually remember that. He's an and it was awful. Actor, I'm using my finger quotes. Yeah, that's generous. It's like we, saying Arnold Schwarzenegger's an actor. <laughs> we have a clip of Steven Seagal okay. acting with Chris Farley. Here you go. Do you have any plans? No. No plans. No. <laughs> That makes me very nervous. You know, people who see my daughter should have plans. Well, I like shop, and I'm real good with cars. Well, that's good, because I guess that means in the middle of the night I won't get a phone call that your car broke down, and that's why you were late or anything like that, will I? Uh, no. It's a nice watch you've got there. Yeah, my grandmother gave it to me last year for graduation. Well, I'm glad she did, because I guess that means that uh, I won't be getting a phone call from you that you lost track of time or oh, anything right. like that. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. Right. All right. All right. Yeah. probably not. It's like, uh, here's some really bad music, and then torturing the audience with it. What are you thinking, Michael? What are you trying to do? Just wanted to show you how bad it was. On the Steven Seagal scale, though, he was bringing it there. I mean, that was maximum Steven Seagal effort. I've often wondered with Saturday Night Live, and I'll watch tomorrow night with Elon Musk, but I've often wondered, it took you, you had a whole week, and you got like a hundred employees, and this is what you came up with for this. That's often surprising to me. It sounded like a dad trying to be menacing, and he's a big, strong guy. So. <laughs> The supposed controversy over Elon Musk as a host, which is completely made up, Michael Che, one of the uh, hosts for the news, said, I don't care. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. So, Yes, stop it. Yeah. They've banned dancing in Washington, D.C. Kevin Bacon has been alerted, of course. Nobody keeps baby in the corner, et cetera, et cetera. Let's everybody get all cut, these idiotic everybody jokes cut, footloose. out of the way before we tell you the story next hour. Baby in a corner is from... Oh, sorry. Dirty Dance. Not the same terrible dirty dancing, dancing related. Dirty Dancing and Footloose are two completely different movies. Oh, my God. Well, I, How did you possibly even overlap them? If you ever them? mix up Kevin Bacon <laughs> and Patrick Swayze again, we're fighting. That's just, that's uncalled for. <laughs> Stupid dance movies that women drag their dates to. Please, I, will, I won't dignify this with an argument. I mentioned this earlier. I'm, I'm making my way through this article in the USA Today. 53 years of marriage and 100 foster girls. This is the exact sort of story I needed to see today. Excellent. Uh, about an old couple. They're now in their late 70s, dang near 80, and they had fostered a 100 girls over their lifetimes. They're just, you know, those people that, that decide this is what we're going to do. 
Wow. And they take in foster kids, and it's just fantastic stories about all the kids that uh, got out of high school and went to college and turned around their lives, and they're still in touch with all these people, and they get all these cards, and people come and visit, and it's just, it is as heartwarming a thing. There are there are so many good people in the world, and then so many bad people that get all the attention. Well, right, I was just going to say, if some angry idiot decides to shoot a handful of his coworkers, everybody knows his name. But nobody's going to know these people's name or, 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 or contemplate their example. Or if some angry idiot with a bad take on Twitter gets so much attention, you know, gets yeah. more attention than these people do. It's, it's absolutely amazing. They, the high school sweethearts met as sophomores in high schools. And high school, got together, got married, been together forever, and raised all these foster kids. Just love stories like this. Yeah, that's amazing. I wish as a society we could somehow celebrate that sort of stuff and like pay attention to it more than we do the bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's there's something in humanity. We're tuned to to seek out bad stuff, I think, so we can avoid it. Has it always been that way, though? I feel like our culture is particularly off track with that. Where, you know, Medals of Honor recipients barely make a blip in the news. Uh, guy who shoots up his school, we find out everything about his life. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get you. I hear you. Total change of topic. Uh, coming up, there's a chicken shortage. Jack, you have chickens, right? I do. Yeah, I'd, I'd Boy, fence what, them in or, or armed guards or something. What are they worth now? Uh, hundreds. Thousands. Wow, oh, chicken shortage. Fantastic. I'm taking advantage yeah. of that. My ship has come in, and that ship is chickens. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty.